Alrighty, welcome to the Corona Apocalypse Simpsons binge. We are talking about season two on this episode. I'm Ben here with Chris and Larnell here to talk about the second season of The Simpsons. So, what are your thoughts, guys? Season two. Season two is they gave season two more chance. It's it, it's a season that, for the most part, it's really good. It's funny. It got the characters are also really coming to their own. The animation is actually decent and thoughtful. And, and I mean, there are a few hiccups and certain points of ending, but the guest rules, while not too many, the ones that happen are amazingly hilarious. Yeah, it's a massive improvement from season one, and uh, some of the best episodes of the series are in this season. Alrighty. So, which episodes do you feel, do either of you guys feel rank with the all time greats? And I know exactly what's coming from Chris. Yeah. Homer versus the Eighth Commandment. Yeah. The Emmy winner like from this that season. One, that one, actually, I wouldn't rank that amongst the all-time greats, although it's a good episode. For me, personally, I wouldn't rank it amongst the all-time greats. But, I mean, there's, there's a lot in this season. Lisa's Substitute is my second favorite episode of the show, period. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty high up there. I mean, Bart, Bart gets an F. That was the, the most watched episode of the entire series. Way We Was. Absolutely. Uh, I was thinking Way We yeah. Was. Bart the Daredevil, Bart versus Thanksgiving. Thank her all amongst uh, the best in the series. I definitely see this season as the show starting to come into its own. The show yeah. starting to become its classic era self, if you will. You know, we've got a massive jump in animation quality. You know, the classic Simpsons look is pretty much fully formed at this point. The voices are starting to become a lot more consistent. And the writing is definitely becoming a lot more ambitious, I would say. You know, the, the, the episode where Mr. Mr. Burns is running for governor, I'd say one of... I'd say one of the sharpest written episodes of the season, you know, of just a very sharply done political satire by Schwarzwelder and Sam Simon. And you, you've got a lot of other examples of just like, of just the writers starting to really flex. You know, you've got your first little McBain bits, you've got, um, you, you know, and, and some really solid storytelling, you know, in contrast to the first season where, you know, the first season very much feels like a work in progress. And then this season, you, you can see that they're starting to kind of grow the beard, you know. Any other thoughts on what makes this season kind of different from season one, yet also perhaps different from what would later come? You know, because I, 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 I do see a lot of commonalities between between season two and season three in some ways. We, we remarked a couple of times that although the writing is definitely getting stronger, there were some pacing issues in some of the episodes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's really iffy pacing issues at some points. And then there was a matter that some episode we gang had also mentioned, but suddenly realized, oh no, we have to end this episode. So here's an ending. See you next week. Yeah, kind of a, a habit of awkward and rushed endings throughout the season. Yeah. A la right. most SNL sketches. Yeah, I feel like as far as it being common with season one, like we were saying before, the James L. Brooks influence of the, like, you know, the emotional, heartwarming story, I think that definitely stays in, in season two for the most part. There's a few episodes that, you know, that don't necessarily follow that, but for the most part, that, that still is thing. And it's still mostly centered around the family with the few episodes being, you know, like I think maybe one or two really like being in a, an ex 
exception to that. Like, sure. uh, Principal Charming, I think is really like, you know, actually really probably the only episode that completely, you know, diverts away from the family. You know, even then it's still like, it has to do with Patty, Patty and Selma, so it's still like somewhat from the family, but not like the, the, the main Simpson, immediate Simpson family. Yeah, um, like the core family. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and I felt like that one, like we were saying before, even like in season one, Krusty gets busted is like you know they're, they're starting to get a little bit into the other characters but even crusty gets busted was more based around like a more or less a part story whereas like principal charming really does deal with a lot of spends a lot of time with principal skinner and patty and selma really even more so than like homer or Bart, even though they're kind of in march are kind of interconnected in that story mm-hmm. yeah and like uh, so and you know we're going to see that more and more with each season but for the most part season two sticks with the family and sticks with the the James L. Brooks like heartwarming tug your heartstrings kind of story and yet you see some some episodes that have more of an influence from figures such as Sam Simon and John Schwartzwelder you see Al Jean and Mike Rice starting to kind of take the reins for a few episodes you see episodes that are really coming from the writer's room if you will rather than coming from James L. Brooks's desk I mean yeah this was this was absolutely a year when when Brooks was still very heavily involved and 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 Matt Groening as well you you can also see shows starting to go in different directions you know with you know Mr. Burns running for governor cars in every garage and three eyes on every bench yeah the eighth commandment episode you know, you you see that they're yeah. starting to get into some sharp satires. They're starting to tackle politics and religion, which is, which is pretty bold, you know. And, and you know, we're not getting into all in the family territory here, but like, you know, it was it was pretty bold for a cart for for a cartoon to go there. You know, this is bef- this is long before South Park. You know, this is long before you know satirical. You know, other kinds of satirical adult animation. Beavers and butthead. Yeah, sure. And I mean, and then just going off of that, you see that the show itself is starting to become more adult. The show itself is starting to grow up in sorts. You know, you still have some Bart focused episodes. You still have some, you have some Lisa focused episodes, which are very much coming from a kid's perspective in a way. And yet, you know, the Homer and Marge centered episodes and even Principal Charming you know, you see, you see that the show is starting to become less of a show aimed at children and more, and more a show that's actually aimed at an adult audience. Right. You know, and and I feel like The Simpsons has always kind of walked that line in a way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Simpsons never really tend to be like fully like they don't they don't we're adult animation. No, like we're animation. We're not, we're not trying yeah. to be explicitly yeah. adult. We're just you know, it's for it's for right. the, the more rebellious side of the family, the teenagers. Sure, sure. And those teenagers can be adults, and the adults became the fans of the show who we're talking about right now. So I guess you know, it is evolution in a way. Well, yeah, the Simpsons they always tend they they never really came to me as like. Well, intentionally trying to be an adult. Family Guy, Self Park, Beavis and Butthead, they were all intentionally trying to be for adults. With yeah. The the characterizations, their mature situations, their controversies, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I think of The Simpsons and the first incarnation of Ren and Stimpy, which was happening around this time as well. As two shows that were always kind of towing the line in a way, you know, the, you know, Ren and Stimpy was on a kid's network, so that was some of, that's where some of the censorship struggles with that show were actually coming from, whereas 
you know, the Simpsons, they were coming on, they were on the same network as Married with Children, a very raunchy, like, self-parody of a sitcom. And the Simpsons has always been, like, a fairly, like, a fairly family-friendly show. And yet you get some some realistic depictions of adult issues. You've got, you know, War of the Simpsons is the first real glimpse of uh, of Homer getting dangerously drunk and... The whole plot of that episode comes from the negative consequences of of Homer getting totally wasted and the fallout from that and the embarrassment of, you know, how this person acts when um, when he's in that state. And to some degree, I see it as a precursor to an episode like, say, Duffless in season four, you know? You know? And, and, and then, you know, Homer and Marge go off to marriage counseling. So it's another, you know... You know, it's a drama about the relationship between two adults, and it's handled in and it's handled in a pretty adult way, and not adult as in raunchy, but adult as in you know, right. it takes a certain amount of maturity to uh, to to under to understand and relate to the story that's being depicted in there. You know, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that the only thing, like my criticism with that episode, and like I think it's it's a really funny episode, and like. You know, it's just funny, like, us watching it, like, since we're not actually the guests at the party, we can kind of, like, just laugh at, like, Homer just being completely ridiculous. Sure. But, you know, it sparks, you see, like, you know, they go to the counseling, and obviously she's talking about all these things we already know about Homer being, like, really, you know, completely, you know, ridiculous and lazy and oblivious and all, all these, like, you know, it takes all night for her to go through all his flaws. The only problem I have with that episode is, like, the whole thing with General Sherman, where he, he catches the fish and everything, but him throwing it back into the water, it's like, that's the solution. And yet, like, th- that doesn't really change anything. <laughs> like, but, but, like he, that's not him really, like, changing anything. I guess you can say in the sense that, like, you know, he, he, like, spent hours catching this fish and then he throws it back into the water. It's like showing a sacrifice in a way, but mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like it was kind of like where we were getting at before of them sort of just like ending abruptly or not really knowing how to end the story. And also in a way, like they're not going to change the character really. So, sure. You know, but yeah. Oh, it was just one last thing with that. Also, it's kind of funny too, is that it, even in that instance, he actually technically wasn't really doing anything wrong in that he, he was actually going for a walk and, and some kid left his, his uh, gear behind and he's, you know, about to give it to him and then it gets caught and then he ends up getting caught into like catching trying to catch the fish and everything yeah i'm, I'm kind of nitpicking because overall that's a that's a great episode but <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think that episode definitely holds up um yeah. you know and you know i wanted to talk about the character of homer and where he's at in this season yeah because i think that's a yeah. really interesting discussion because the it, it you know it's funny how they had to turn homer into the belligerent trunk in that episode and that's the first time we really see him like that in the show's history that's the first time they ever really go there with the character and and i think that i think in a sense that was i, I think in a sense that's a key moment for the character because those qualities of Homer, the the self-centeredness and the belligerent drunk Homer. This is stuff we would see more and more as the show progressed and, you know, where Homer's negative qualities would get played up and exaggerated, you know, more and more and more. I mean, you also have Lisa's Substitute, which... um, where one of the plot lines is how Lisa finally ha- finally has a strong male role model figure in her life that she never really had in Homer. 
and they have to show that in order to make the point. You know, right. they they have to show that that Homer doesn't really connect with Lisa in the in the same way that he connects with Bart. They 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 have to really show that in the episode to make that story work. You know, whereas if that story had been done, say in you know, season nine, you know, I don't think you would require so much exposition. You know, by season nine, Homer had become a very different kind of character. You know, in season one and two, you know, Homer's not really the belligerent oaf that that he would become, right. you know, later on in this classic era. You know, I think seasons three and four, and especially season four, you see that dial turned up more and more and more. And that ends up being where a lot of the show's humor comes from. Right. And and season two, we're not really there yet with Homer. You get a more human Homer. You get a much more sympathetic Homer. So I I think it's really interesting to track the character throughout the years and where the character is is at in each year, you know, because there was definitely a, a, an enormous evolution in the character within, say, the first four seasons of the show, let alone the series as a whole. Let's see, other thoughts on season two. Any other thoughts on season two? The thing is, season two to me is really, like we've all said, it's the most, it's one of the most solid seasons of the show overall. And, you know, it's funny, it's got like a lot of funny moments from, you know, small things like the uh, over-exaggerated guy singing to what it You are so beautiful, too many that part would have me cracking up, but uh, I couldn't help it. It was so over the top, and I don't see how I feel that was Dan Kinsley's voice acting doing that, but it was just so, so much. And I'm trying to think. Also, you had like a lot of great parodies of uh, movies, too. Like, you had a parody of Psycho, a parody of a full on parody of Graduate, you had a parody of, of um, mm-hmm. Citizen Kane as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, you see the pop culture references starting to starting to become a little more regular, and yet they're done. They tend to be done a little more subtly this season than they would be later on. Like by the time you get to season four, you'll get an entire episode of references to other works. You know, <laughs> some more guest stars too. Absolutely, James Earl Jones, Firestein, obviously Dustin Hoffman, Danny DeVito. Name, mind you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, 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 that's who Sam Eddick was. Okay. Tony Bennett, Alex Rocco starts to, I mean, I guess it's more of a regular, but he first starts as um, Roger Myers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Junior. Yeah. Phil Hartman. Everywhere this season. Yeah, he's yeah. everywhere. And yeah, I mean, first, yeah, that's the other thing also, we're going to get into more just um, a lot more of the, the secondary characters coming in and also some of the first appearances of characters that have become major characters in the show yeah in a way phil hartman was never really a guest star you know he was was practically a regular especially between seasons two and four i mean i i honestly feel that he would have been a regular had it not been for his commitment to saturday night live i mean i imagine they probably had him under contract there which prevented him from really coming to the simpsons full time and yeah you know there are episodes that you know they'll do without him at all and yet the episodes when he's there he He'll, he'll do multiple roles. He won't just be Troy McClure. He won't just be Lionel Hutz. He'll play, in the Eighth Commandment episode, he plays, like, a number of, you know, right. roles, you know, and they use him in a very similar way as how SNL used him as the glue. With Hartman in the booth, they're able to kind of, you know, put him in any role that he could possibly pay, play, and he, and he can pull it off, and Hartman 
shows that he can, you know, kind of hold his own against the uh, the the other great voice actors in the cast. I see Hartman coming in and Hartman being just like icing on the cake of an already of a cast that's already starting to come into their own. I mean, you know, it really struck me in the in the season finale. I think like the first few minutes of the episode is all just Harry Shearer talking to himself. Yeah. Because Harry is Mr. Burns. Harry is is Smithers. Harry is Hibbert. And then Harry is Lenny. Which shows you just how talented Harry Shearer is as a voice actor. Because the fact he's doing all these conversations with himself and the thing is it sounds like four very different people talking. Absolutely sounds like four different people. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost one man will think that the show can't exist about either Harry or Hank because both of them are like essentially the, the glue that keeps the series together. Yeah, yeah. And you could make the same case for for, for Dan Castellaneta, and obviously he's Homer, but he also plays a ton of other roles. Right. Grandpa Willie. Grandpa. Yeah. Percy. Yeah. Mel. Mayor Diamond Joe Quimby, one of my favorite voices he does actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Era. Right, era. Boy, uh, you know, based on a certain uh, famous uh, political family, yeah? Oh, man. I just love the Diamond Joe Quimby character because it's literally, it's almost like a Ted Candy ripoff. The elements of JFK, it, it's mingled. Yeah. Yeah. It's the bad ones. All the sleazy qualities of the Kennedy family turned up to a 10, yeah. So, shall we talk about what you would get what you guys would consider the best and worst episodes or favorite and least favorite oh and funny thing is apparently uh blood feud was not the actual was was actually a postscript episode oh wow yeah because uh blood feud was, was aired uh, during the summer after the official season finale oh so what was the official season finale oh, did then? you see that huh that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the official season finale that aired at the end of the season was Freeman and a comic book. That's interesting. Yeah. Every day, May 9th, 1991, 7F21 production code. Yeah. And then Stark Raving Dad was actually delayed so that they could debut big with the season three. Right. Yeah, Stark, yeah. Yeah, Stark Raving Dad was on September 19th, 1991. Yeah, just looking at it now, the episodes, I guess Larnell saying July, July 11th was when Blood Feud appeared. So yeah, that, that would have been at that point that, that's odd though they had, there was like two months after three men in the comic hmm. yeah I didn't know that either yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a little int- that's interesting yeah Story we have a couple of episodes that wind up being like you know holdovers or doing season you know out of season special episodes that we do well I, I gotta say that I have a soft spot for the way we was I think it's a story that holds up really well it's an important story in the history of the show and it, it it's it, it's an episode that would get referenced later on both in the returns of Artie Ziff throughout uh, throughout the series but perhaps even more touchingly and more significantly in the Simpsons movie when they do a beautiful callback to the way we was you know and you know I, I, I think that episode is like one of the it, it, you know it started off the trend of the flashback episode that you get yeah. a Bart's origin story if you will the next season and yeah. then you get one for yeah. Lisa as well then you get one for Maggie in season 6 you know and then eventually you get more these more stories and some of them kind of jump up the timeline. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there yet. Yeah. Yeah, certain 90s show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think The Way We Was is just a, a classic and kind of a sentimental favorite for me. 
it's harder for me to name the weakest episode. It is tough to really name like an absolute weak episode because the thing is, every episode has yeah. strength. Every episode is, is good on its own. Just I, I just say I I can at least for me like I can easily pick my least favorite episode. That I I it's, I, th- I think it's just okay. I go with like is old money, which is to me just uh, it's okay. But it, every time I I watch it, I just feel like it, it goes on forever and doesn't it just doesn't know where it's gonna go and it's i don't really particularly find it to be that funny but i mean i get it's like a grandpa centered episode but it just feels like so like you see him dating the woman b at his retirement home that he meets and then when she you know spoiler alert passes away you know that what she does with his money when he has her money and tries to figure out like what to eat spend it with i feel like that just goes on forever <laughs> it's a long it's a long time it's a long it really is yeah but yeah. the ending the ending makes up for it because you know the nice cinema ending which obviously is the jlb touch as we'll call it you know, we see cinema ending that's probably yeah. james l brooks work it's tough to make a case for weakest episode of this season because the storytelling was was so strong overall. You know, it, it's hard for me to really make that call. So I do think it's worth discussing an episode that's often named as a, as another landmark episode within this season. Is Lisa's substitute? Oh yeah, Lisa's yeah. substitute. Lisa's substitute. Now, which is essentially a a long form parody of The Graduate, <laughs> well, some guy who apparently was Sam Eddick. I don't know who he is he's probably some actor this great sam eddick who who appeared for this episode and 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 we never heard from him ever again you know and it's a story that that certainly holds up it's certainly an affecting story i think it's one of the i think it's one of the definitive lisa stories that the simpsons ever had and yet i can't help but i can't help but notice some you know unsettling subtext in the relationship between uh, bergstrom and lisa in this episode yeah that and, uh, that subtext or rather his entrance into the uh the school you know his, his dramatic entrance which quite frankly would be very 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 alarming in 2020 yeah you know and as a professional school teacher, not to flex, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm telling you that that you know the obvious favoritism towards Lisa, oh, the Lord. the moments when he and Lisa oh, are um, all I'm saying we're is talking about the, this episode season about the, uh, the substitute and how this was essentially you know a long form parody of The Graduate and some of the more go that far unsavory moments of this episode because it feels as if it's potentially. Well, if you saw the episode, you'll see the context, but, you know, Lisa and uh, Associates' relationship to the way he enters the room, which is extremely questionable in 2020. You can find it under things that did not yeah. age well in, in, the, in the Simpsons. I, I, honestly, I, I honestly disagree. I feel like there's a little bit... I think that you guys might be looking a little bit too into it, that I think that, like, there's certain things that... You know, if it was made today, they probably wouldn't do a certain way or whatever. But I don't think that's like what the writers were, hey, yeah. were like intending at all. I think it's just yeah. that Lisa has a crush on her teacher, and and that know, part is obvious. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that is what it is. And but I don't think it's, it's at all like anything really beyond that. I think that it just you know like little things like him maybe holding her hand might just look kind of weird. But I don't think like there's anything really beyond that. I think that uh, you know they have to tell the story in a certain way you have to have mr bergstrom talk to homer you know at a certain mm-hmm. point so them seeing each other outside of school and at a museum you know what i mean 
Yeah, I, don't, I think that it's just like Lisa's story, her dealing with, you know, the, this realization that, well, one, she has this massive crush, mm-hmm. but uh, two, it like helps, you know, her and us as a viewer realize she doesn't have a strong male you know, figure or father figure. Which is the real point of the episode. Right. You know? Yeah. And in the end, you know, even though Homer's, he's not going to be like Mr. Bergstrom at all, he does, you know, the right thing and, and realizes, you know, that, you know, he was being a jerk and that he says, you know, you lost someone really special and he's able to relate to her on that level that hey like you know I, I might not be smart but I can you know I can, like you said I can fix your dollar so he kind of makes a joke and it makes it lighter that you know you know that even though he can't maybe relate to her interests he still loves her and that's that's the thing that you know if you go to a later episode like Lisa's wedding you know it, it, it kind of shows that Lisa's kind of embarrassed a little bit by Homer but when becomes you know the option of her would-be husband at the time would be like oh let's move to London you know even though she complains about her family she doesn't want to give up her family Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that shows that even though they can't relate to each other in a direct way they still are family and still love each other you know and I think that's the crux of it you know I mean like you know and it kind of shows you know it's like yeah I mean Lisa kind of you know she she's not you know she's the she's the misfit in the family even though Bart kind of is too but but you know he sort of fits in with with Homer and and, you know and uh, I think Lisa though is kind of the outsider yeah and I think in this yeah someone that understands her also that it seems like other students don't under you know understand that you know her and and, uh which is the real point they were trying to make yeah yeah Yeah. that's my I I think too just also the whole like I I think the pacing's incredible like the I mean yeah the the, the, you are Lisa Simpson I think is is brilliant oh yeah that that, that's just a beautiful moment a massive meme and which you know for those keeping at home we have tracked multiple memes in the season mm-hmm. the this content right here meme the, the appears in that episode and so does the you are there's a blank blank paper meme so you know, two big memes that, that kind of emerged from, from the season for those keeping score at home mm-hmm. best episode for me is for, for season two it's I'm, I'm going to say it's a dead heat between Homer and, the, Homer and Lisa versus the eighth commandment because it's just, it's really funny, and I'll admit, I am a sucker for the Dredderick Tatum character. It's my personal favorite Simpsons beat character at home, everyone. Maybe because I'm a, I'm a huge Mike Tyson boxing fan, so maybe that has something to do with it, but mm. it, it's just, Dredderick Tatum is so funny and so much of a Mike Tyson wannabe. The point, you know, the haircut, the physique, the, the use of verb voice words, and and elongated sentences to describe situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I was a character for five years. Uh, my family, I was with my family, my mother's my children. The damage was irreconcilable. You know, stuff like that. It, it, it's just, it's so hilariously, oh, it's so hilariously Mike Tyson times 10. <laughs> and every time I see Jordan Tam, it's just, I, I quote him almost all the time now. Well, you know, various roles and various things. It's, it's one of my personal favorites. So, is the beauty of the fact that, like, you know, a combo look at K- of the world of cable t- TV, which, you know, the 2020 seems pretty odd because we don't, you know, I don't really have cable at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. And also, you know, biblical teachings, uh, which, you know, Simpsons would have a couple of people that rally against, you know, traditional teachings and uh, biblical context. So, you have these episodes, but. It's just, it's really, it's really well made. Because you see Lisa's care for her father, and Homer's, uh, 
it, it hovers, you know, even longer you enjoy it, it's probably getting a chance to see something on TV you haven't seen it forever. Yeah. And it's another great character story for Homer and for Lisa. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Larnell, pick for weakest episode. Yeah, wow. Sorry, I almost lost uh, this bad time. So what's the uh, least favorite episode here for us here? Did we already talk about it or... Oh, uh, yeah, you already talked about your least favorite. I, yeah, I shrugged. Yeah. <laughs> I shrugged. But uh, DiCarlo... I really don't know what the least favorite is. I mean... Uh, it's really hard because, like I said, I, right. it's almost like this is almost too strong a season because there's so many good episodes. Just even though the end yeah. of the long episodes came up like... Light speed, that was a big problem in of itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if I'm looking at this list, I'd say the episode that kind of left me the most cold, or I didn't really enjoy the most, had to be um, Dancing Homer. Really interesting. I mean, it, it felt. I like the fact that it was, you know, it was a, it was a total you know, flashback style. And Cody Bat's appearance was pretty cool, but in the end, it just. I think it's a story that that has a lot of promise. I don't think it's a bad episode by any means. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, you, you see something that happens. <clears throat> sorry, something that happens many times throughout the season, which is a very rushed and abrupt ending. Uh, because throughout this season, they they hadn't quite perfected the pacing of the show just yet. And you get a lot of really rushed and abrupt endings, and I think this episode is is certainly one of the offenders. Sure, yeah, I agree. It's a uh, yeah, I think it's a good episode, but I, I oh agree. yeah, it's not one. It's not one of the stronger ones for the season, though. Uh, so Chris, what is your number one episode this season? Definitely Lisa's substitute. Lisa's substitute. Like said, it's, my, it's my second favorite episode of the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to my first. Uh, in a few seasons. Mm-hmm. We will get there. We will get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But, okay. um, yeah, definitely, yeah. like, Lisa's substitute, like I've said before, just, um, yeah, I mean, incredible character study of Lisa, incredible performance from Sam Eddick. Yes. Mr. Bergstrom. Sam Eddick was so uh, great. Homer. Also, um, a decent subplot with, uh, Bart running for president uh, or whatever. Another um, sharp political satire from the show. Or the FDR recap, which one of the greatest sight gags in, in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty, so now let's talk season MVPs. Uh, and each of us should name one character and one behind the scenes figure. You guys can go before me. I've done this one. Larnell? Do you want me to take a, take a stab at it first? I'll take a stab at it. <clears throat> um, MVP character. I'm going to go with... I came very close to saying someone else. 
I came very close to saying someone else, but I'm going to go with Lisa here. Because I feel like this is the season where Lisa starts to come into her own. And, and, and you know, you do get these little moments of Lisa being a scamp, uh, acting like a kid, acting like Bart. Uh, you know, can we go to Mount Splashmore? Can we go to Mount Splashmore? You know, um, <clears throat> and yet, you know, in episodes such as Homer versus Lisa and the Eighth Commandment, uh, and of course, Lisa's substitute. Um, you get, you really start to see Lisa become Lisa Simpson. You are Lisa Simpson, <laughs> you know, if you will. Um, um, and then, you, you know, I feel like this is the year when she starts to come into her own as a character, and when the writers start to realize um, what how to make a great Lisa story, you know, and uh, what great story material she can be. Um, Behind-the-scenes figure. Let's see. Uh, I definitely want to give a shout to John Schwartzwelder, who uh, penned some really great episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and would become one of the most prolific uh, writers in the show's history. Um, John Schwartzwalter was behind, um, um, you know, Three Eyes on Every Fish, um, a very sharp political satire. Um, and you would see, you know, you see, you see some sharp satire coming, uh, coming from his pen. Um, um, but ultimately, as far as behind the scenes MVP, I think I got to give it to Phil Hartman. <laughs> you know, I, uh, as we talked about, you know, every episode that Phil Hartman is in this season, he just absolutely crushes it and he becomes the glue, um, when he's there, much like, even though he's not really a full regular, every time he does show up, he uh, he just absolutely crushes it, and he can absolutely kill any role you give him. Um, you know, much like he did on SNL. You know, Hartman was just on fire. All right, thoughts on MVPs? goes i'm gonna go with um mr burns interesting i think uh i mean as far as like side characters he was already you know played a fair amount of role you know decent roles in, in the first season but they definitely built upon that and uh i mean there's so many episodes where he is a focal point of the, the episode and uh I mean, that keeps growing with the series, but that definitely was on display in season two. And uh, he's a really dynamic character that since he is so wealthy and evil, mm. you can do so much yeah. with the, and, and the, uh, the writers really yeah. uh, to their advantage. Yeah. Conan they said that. They said that before. Yeah. Yeah. Conan said that Mr. Burns was his favorite yeah, character uh, to write for. I'm going to say personal favorite character this season has to be, and it's, you know, else, Cheryl, now it's going to be, uh, I think Homer. I think um, was my personal favorite character this season. Mm. 
And I came very close to saying Honus. Still had the good dad, just you know, goofy. And also, it you know, he he had really he was that's really funny character arcs. Yeah. Obviously, infamous skateboarding thing. Yeah. You know, the boxing thing, and then he also had the the growing the hair out thing. Yeah, absolutely. I. I definitely feel like this and is... And we also have the start of the uh, Flanders-Simpsons rivalry, which is yes. you know, mm-hmm. a, a very big side story that's going to last us for years and years and years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, I I love season two Homer. I feel like I feel like Homer is, is definitely... Uh, th- this year was huge for Homer and into Homer becoming the Homer we all know and love. Uh, and I, I kind of love the point where... Uh, the point where the character evolution is at in this year. Um, and I came very close to naming Homer as my character MVP for that reason. Um, nice. And I got to say that, um, I, I got to say that I, I also love the episodes that show a more human side to Bart, uh, including Bart gets an F, um, Bart Definitely. the Daredevil, um, uh, Bart versus Thanksgiving, um, you know, and this is at it, and this is in the heat of Bart mania. Um, you know, this is at the height of the character's popularity and the height of the show's popularity. Bart gets enough with the highest rated episode in the show's history. More eyeballs were on seasons one and two, uh, and perhaps three. And then it was a steady decline due to many factors. Um, at, uh, and I love that, they stepped it up for season two with all those eyeballs watching and also gave us these great vulnerable moments with Bart, um, you know, and making him, a, making him more than a catchphrase, making him more than just the bratty rebellious kid and, and showing a more fully formed character there, you know, and I, I love that they went there with the character. Um, uh, behind the scenes MVPs. It's a tough one. Uh, it's tough to name one. Yeah. Wait, 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 James L. Brooks. Because his magic touch made so many episodes, and and it was just he he was really on top of his game there. He had and this time he had the animation, the voice actors. Yeah. Yeah, the guest stars. He had everything going for him this year, mm-hmm. and starting out with a huge debut that essentially made The Simpsons were right here in the United States and right here all over the world for eons and eons. They knew they, they were on their game. Absolutely. Absolutely on their game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. It's hard for me to like, you know, uh, put like one person as the MVP. I guess yeah. I'd probably go with, you know, along the lines of Mr. Burns, Terry Shear. Oh yeah. Because again, like so, getting into so many secondary characters, and I feel like a lot of the ones he voiced are starting to get more, 
airtime, you know, like yeah. like Skinner and um, Burns and Smithers, Hibbert. Yeah. And and again, the case can be made for Harry Shearer as as the glue of the show, uh, in a way, um, because he plays so many of those roles and. Um, uh, because he brings life to so many of the the, the, the residents of Springfield alongside Hank Azaria. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean this, yeah, and uh, I feel like the voice acting was was incredible this season. Um, like, like there are some great moments out of out of uh, out of Julie Kavner as Marge. Uh, some fantastic Homer moments, you know. This is this is the season yeah. when Homer really found his voice, literally. Um, and like, I always loved, um, I always loved uh, Homer in the Raven, in in the first Treehouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, first Beards of Horror. Absolutely, yeah. Another landmark that yeah, we didn't even mention. That was a big game changer. Or it was it was at the time the Halloween special. Right. That was great. Yeah. We know the Treehouse well. Tree yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those episodes down are gonna be some of the more interesting ones because that's when they say continuity, forget all of that. I'll read the swings, forget that we're going there. Yeah, yeah. And it opens up to so many different things. You can do so many parodies. You can have like you know unexplainable and out universe ideas. It's yeah. you know something you look forward to because of the Halloween tradition. It's you know one of the few episodes of the series that I still try to watch. Traditionally, when it airs on Halloween, or in some cases after Halloween. No thanks to you, Major League Baseball. Mm. <laughs> ratings, ratings, ratings. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean this this episode, uh, this season rather. You get some, you get some incredible performances from um, from all the big guns in the cast: Castellaneta, Julie Kavner, Nancy Cartwright. Uh, Showing some amazing acting as Bart. Um, Yardley Smith showing some amazing acting as Lisa. And then you've got Hank Azaria and Harry Shearer as your chameleons in the cast. And then to top it all off, and for a few episodes, you got Phil Hartman just absolutely crushing it. Yeah. You know. John Lovitz. John Lovitz, one of the all time great recurring guest yeah, stars. He was so great as Artie Ziff. Oh, yeah, John Lovitz. He's going to do a lot more in this series, but he's just, he's so good. Mm. He was also Professor Lombardo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marsha Walls is in there. Mm-hmm. Marsha yeah, Walls is This is, where, this is uh, you know, where she also begins to become a uh, core player in the series as well. Mm-hmm. Even, be, even being, you know, almost a uh, one-on-one substitute for, uh, for Anne Bancroft's character in oh, yeah. in The Graduates during the episode. Yeah. Sam Attic turning in... Um, a remarkable performance in Lisa's Substitute. It's such a shame we we never got to see or hear anything from Sam Eddick ever again. Um, and let's see. Um, and, 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 you know, part of this is the Beatles super fan in me, but I've always had a soft spot for Ringo, and I've always had a soft spot for Brush With Greatness for that reason. Um you know, the first episode to feature one of the Beatles, and uh, sure enough, they would get three of them on the show uh, as we get later on into the classic era. Alrighty. So, uh, 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 all right, any concluding thoughts on season two? Um, 
are season two. <laughs> you are season two. <laughs> Alrighty. I think that, yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's about as good as ending uh, of an ending as we'll get for this podcast. Um, all right, uh, to any of you listening, thank you. And uh, up next is um, another landmark season for the show, season three, and we will discuss that the next time here on the Simpsons Corona Apocalypse Binge Podcast. Thirty years later. In 3D. Larnell can't hear me at all, can he? Larnell! Larnell! Larnell can't hear me at all. Alrighty. (laughs) Alright, signing off. Thank you very much.